Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? You guys doing all right? You're awake? Yeah, all right. Good stuff. Hey, uh, just like I said uh, before we started worship, you also have the freedom to talk back to me when I preach. Like, I, I want to know that you guys are with me, all right? So, so we're going to be lively this morning. We got This is good news, okay? We're going to be in God's Word, uh, and I think that uh, God has a word for each one of us this morning, and so feel free to, to talk back to me and amen and whatever you want to do, all right? Um, I actually kind of like it. It doesn't distract me, so um, we're going to be... Uh, talking about intentional discipleship this morning. So you guys know we've been going through our values uh, as a church, talking about uh, our values, which are just the things that, that we believe uh, are non-negotiables for us. Uh, so they're up there on that, that banner. or nope, that, we switch, The banners are always switching around. I never know anymore. So they're over here on this banner this time. So uh, the Bible, risk-taking faith, bold evangelism, selfless service, intentional discipleship, and the Great Commission. Uh, so we're talking about intentional discipleship uh, this morning. Um, so the, the word discipleship gets, gets thrown around a lot uh, in church circles. It gets used to describe a lot of different things. Uh, some people, when they think of discipleship, they think about like meeting with a mentor face-to-face. Uh, some people think it just consists of Bible study and just growing in knowledge that you know, discipleship is just doing Bible studies uh, some some people when they hear the word the term make disciples they only think about evangelism we just think that it's just evangelism uh, but it's best to go to scripture to get a sense of what discipleship is all about instead of assuming uh, you know that we know what it means so um, we're gonna go uh, to several places in scripture but uh, to for starters the Great Commission uh, I think does a really good job of kind of giving us a sense of what discipleship is all about Matthew 28. Uh, 18 to 20, um, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So one of the things that we see right there in the Great Commission is that Jesus does not just send us out to make converts to get people to pray a prayer or something like that, but he sends us out to make disciples. Disciples, as we see here in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, are people who obey all that Jesus has commanded. They are people who who live according to his word. A, A disciple is a learner. It's somebody who follows his or her master or teacher. And disciples, ultimately, the goal is to become like the teacher. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So that's the goal of discipleship, to be like our master, our teacher. And if we're followers of Jesus, the goal of discipleship is to be like Jesus, to be conformed into his image. The Apostle Paul clearly lays this out as the purpose for his ministry in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He says, Jesus Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And then look, why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So all of Paul's efforts to plant churches and to disciple these new believers as they're gathered up into churches is so that the believers can, be, can grow up into Christ-likeness, into spiritual maturity, so that on the day of Jesus' return or on the day that they die and stand before Him, they will be presented before Him mature in Christ Jesus, so that the work of, of transformation in the lives of believers will be complete. That's the goal of discipleship. So, based off of those scriptures, here's a definition of discipleship that uh, we're going to work with this morning. Discipleship is training believers to follow and obey Jesus so that they are conformed into his image. Discipleship is training believers to follow and obey Jesus so that they are conformed into his image. So becoming a Christian means entering into a a lifelong journey of serving and obeying Jesus as God continually changes us from the inside out. And we're, So we're called to obey, but we do so empowered by the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we're going to talk a little bit more about how that works a little bit later on. 
But our aim at Pillar DC is the same as, as Paul's, to present everyone mature in Christ. We want each one of you to grow into Christ-likeness in spiritual maturity progressively so that you, when you stand before Jesus one day, the work of sanctification will be complete in you. You will have been changed into His image. That's why intentional discipleship is one of our values at Pillar DC. And we put the word intentional in front of discipleship to emphasize that becoming more like Jesus takes effort. You do not coast towards Christ-likeness. I'll say that again. You do not coast towards Christ-likeness. It's not just an automatic thing. Yes, it's empowered by the grace of God, but there's, 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 a, there's a dual component to it. God empowers us to become more like Jesus. He changes us from the inside out, but He does so through means, such as the Word of God and uh, discipleship uh, with other believers ministering to one another. Again, we're going to talk a little bit about how that works, but the point is is that we need to be intentional about discipleship because it's not just going to happen if you don't put forth any effort into it. So this morning, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 to discover in God's Word how disciples are made, exactly how that happens. And Titus 2 gives us a wonderful picture of what discipleship is intended to look like within the local church. Uh, the book of Titus is towards the back of your Bible. Uh, it's after First and Second Timothy uh, and just before Philemon and Hebrews. So if you want to take a moment, I, I hope that you will turn there in your Bibles. Hopefully you brought your Bible with you. There are also some Bibles on the pew backs in front of you. Um, and you can follow along there as well. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Um, as you're turning there, let me give you some context. Uh, so Paul is writing to Titus. Uh, he was uh, mentoring and discipling Titus, um, who was a young pastor that Paul had sent to the island of Crete to help the new churches there. Uh, and so in verses 1 to 10 of Titus 2, uh, Paul describes the formation of, of disciples. So he gives practical instruction for how believers are to live and to grow together in godliness. And then in verses 11 to 14, Paul describes the, the foundation for disciples. So verses 1 to 10 is the formation of disciples. Verses 11 to 14 is the foundation for disciples. Uh, in verses 11 to 14, Paul describes why believers are called to live out the, what he calls us to in verses 1 to 10. So let's go ahead and read the chapter, and then we're going to jump in. Here's what God's Word says. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray that, that you would teach us this morning, that we would have humble hearts um, to 
listen to what you have to say to each one of us. God, I pray that you would build your church up this morning through your word. Um, I pray that you would teach and, and reprove and correct and train us in righteousness. Um, God, sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be uh, drawn uh, to Jesus this morning. I pray for those that don't know you and that aren't born again who may be listening today. And I pray that, Lord God, as the gospel is proclaimed, as they hear your word, that, God, you would graciously give eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of the gospel and do a miracle uh, in the hearts of those uh, that are not saved. And, God, continue to do the miracle of sanctification in each one of our hearts. Continue to change us more and more into the image of Jesus this morning, Lord, as we fix our eyes on you and as we meditate on your word and as we learn and, and, uh, and listen to what your word has to say to us. God, please help me as I preach. In my weakness, Lord, be strong. Um, God, please use me uh, a jar of clay, uh, a broken vessel, God, um, and, and speak through me now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, the first 10 verses, um, Paul uh, gives instructions on how believers ought to live. And this is our first point in the message, the formation of disciples. So Paul gives instructions for how disciples are formed, what that looks like. Uh, he, uh, he talks about how older men and older women, younger men and younger women and bond servants are all urged to live lives that reflect the gospel. In other words, every type of person, every believer in the church is encouraged to live lives that, that reflect the gospel. And so Paul instructs Titus that, that these believers should live lives marked by self-control and love, purity, and humble submission to the roles uh, that God has placed us in. In other words, believers should grow in resemblance to Jesus. And the way that we grow into this Christ-likeness is in the context of the church family. Now, Paul places a, a huge relational emphasis on how disciples are formed here. Uh, this, when you think about this letter as being written by Paul to Titus, um, whom he was discipling. And Paul was exhorting Titus to disciple other believers in the church. And then in verses 3 to 4, Paul urges uh, older women to pour into Younger women, he says, older women are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So in God's wisdom, he's designed the church so that we help one another grow. There's practical instructions here for how believers are to teach one another and train one another and to be a model of good works for one another. And it's, I don't think it's an accident that Paul you know, sets apart older men and and, and uh, older women and younger men and younger women because there is this component where some of the more mature believers are meant to pour into newer believers and people who are younger in the faith. You may have heard that phrase before, I'm not my brother's keeper, right? Any of you heard that? Not my brother's keeper? Well, But in the church, you are your brother's keeper. You and I are responsible for helping other believers grow. It's not something you can opt in or out of. It's just part of being a Christian. When you're, when you're saved, you're not just saved out of the world and out of a life of sin. You're saved into a community. You're saved into the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 says this. It says that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God gives leaders to the church, like apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, but it's not the job of, of the leaders, of the pastors, to do everything it's the job of the leaders of the church to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry, that's helping people know Jesus and make Him known. So it's all of your responsibility to help one another to grow into Christ-likeness. 
And, and that's the goal. It's that the whole body grows up into spiritual maturity, into the fullness of Christ. Paul goes on to say a couple verses later in Ephesians 4.16, he says that when each part of the church body is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body builds itself up in love, which means that each part, each member of the body needs to be working properly. That's Paul says, not just dormant, not just lying limp on the floor and not involved in the life of the church, but actively involved. The way that the local church as a whole grows and the way that individual Christians grow is through the members of the body. So if you're a Christian, that means that you need the other members of the church body to grow and they need you. We need each other. Scripture often uh, also uses the analogy of a family to describe the church. And while there is one universal church, there's one body of Christ, the church takes expression in local congregations. So we have local churches all around the world, all the way from Washington, D.C. to Nairobi. There are local churches of believers that are covenanted together, that are committed to one another. That's what we see here in Titus chapter 2. The church is made up of older people and younger people, of men and of women, and the church operates like a family. In fact, according to Scripture, a local church isn't just like a family, it is a family. Tim Chester, a pastor and author, comments on this passage. He said, Just as children are nurtured in the context of their biological family, Christians are nurtured in the context of the church family. This isn't just my idea. This is straight from Jesus' mouth. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 46 to 50. It says that while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But Jesus replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and brother and sister. So Jesus didn't just view family as an analogy. In fact, in Jesus' eyes, the church is more truly a family than your biological family. That's what he's saying right there. I mean, that's not hyperbole. Is that not what the word says right there? That's what Jesus said. He looked at his disciples and said, these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. And just like we see in a biological family in the church, more mature believers nurture, encourage, and encourage and build up younger believers. So in Titus 2, older women are exhorted to teach and train younger women. Now, age isn't the primary factor when it comes to spiritual maturity. So it doesn't just mean just because somebody's older that they automatically should be, you know, discipling somebody else who's younger than them. Age, I think, can be a factor, but maturity, spiritual maturity comes the longer that one walks with the Lord in obedience. So here, if you could put it into equation, I would put it like this. Time plus obedience equals spiritual maturity. Time plus obedience equals spiritual maturity. So so time does matter, and in general, older saints should be more spiritually mature. It's possible for them not to be, because if they're not obeying Jesus, they're not going to become more spiritually mature. But older saints should be growing in maturity. All of you should be growing in spiritual maturity as you continue to walk and to obey Jesus, and as God continues to transform you. And then, as a result, you're able to help those who maybe are not as far along in their walk with Jesus as you are. Now, our church in particular, we've got a lot of young believers here. So maybe some of you are wondering, well, there's not a lot of of older saints around here. I mean, Thomas is like the old man in our church, right? (laughs) I love you, brother. He's only a couple years older than me. But I look, I look young, so I've still got my my boy I still got my boyish good looks, right? (laughs) I'm not saying you don't, Thomas. Not saying you don't. Here's the thing. So Titus was young too. Titus was probably in his late 20s, early 30s, and clearly Paul instructs Titus to pour into and to disciple other believers, many of whom were maybe his age, maybe only a couple of years younger 
than him. And so the truth is, is that there is always somebody that you can pour into who's maybe just a little bit behind you in terms of spiritual maturity, in terms of their walk with Jesus. So if you're a new believer, you can disciple a newer believer. Or you can even start discipling a non-believer. You can start meeting up with somebody that is not even a Christian yet and begin to, if, but if they want to learn how to follow Jesus, you can start meeting up with them and showing them how to do that. The reality is, is that there's always somebody around you that you can be pouring into. There's always somebody that you can be investing in. And so, and we need people who can invest in us. Like, you know, we all need uh, mentors and we all need disciple makers and people who we can look to as examples that we can learn from, who can teach us. But here's the thing, none of this can happen if we aren't closely involved in each other's lives. If you keep the church at arm's length, or if you neglect meeting with other believers, it hurts your growth and it hurts the growth of the entire church. This is why church membership matters, because the local church really is a family. It's not just a word we throw around. We don't just say, oh, we're a big family, like it's a yeah, but not really. No, really. Like we really are more of a family than your biological family is your family. That's the words of Jesus. Again, it's not my words. That's not what Pastor Jared is saying. That's what Jesus Christ, God, is saying in his word. We need one another. That covenant relationship that we enter into when we, when we talk about church membership is there to protect us. We covenant with one another because we know that Satan prowls like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so in God's wisdom, he's given us the church. And it's within the local church that we have other believers to encourage us when we're faint along the way. And to rebuke us when we're straying off the path. And to be taught by faithful pastors who know our lives and who will teach us the word. And to be asked hard questions by our brothers and sisters in Christ who know what's going on in our lives and to have people to be able, to whom we can honestly confess our sins so that our hearts don't get hardened. You need that. But you it's not possible if you keep the church at arm's length, if you neglect meeting with other believers, if you just sporadically attend on Sunday but nobody really knows you. Brothers and sisters, are you known? Do people know you? And I'll ask that to Pillar DC members. Do people know you? Or are you kind of anonymous? Don't be anonymous. It's to your own spiritual detriment. Throw yourself in. Jump in with two feet into the life of the church. You know, sometimes people who claim to be Christians uh, keep the church at arm's length because they just, they just want to live in sin undisturbed. That's just the bottom line. They just don't want anybody to tell them to call them out in their sin. That's, that's one of the reasons. But I do think that at other times there, uh, there are believers who genuinely want uh, and have a desire to be known and to, and to be in fellowship, but there's a fear of being known because there's a fear of, of being judged. There's a fear of if people really knew me, if people really knew what, what was going on in my life, I'm afraid that they would reject me. I'm afraid that they would judge me. But this is what makes grace so glorious in the church. This is what makes the church community different than any other community that we could possibly come up with in the world. No one has room to boast before the cross. Every single Christian is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Every single one of us was dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And the only reason that any of us can be counted righteous is because of the blood of Jesus, which was shed on our behalf to cleanse us from our sin. And then Jesus gave us his righteousness as a free gift received by faith. Which means that because we've received such glorious grace from God, we are able to extend that same grace to one another. So when we confess sin to one another when another believer comes and, and says, Jared, I've been struggling with this sin. My reaction can never be, oh my gosh, really? I can't, I can't believe that you do that. No, my reaction is, brother, there is good news. Like Christ died. He shed, your blood on, he shed his blood on the cross for your sins. And brother, I'm a sinner too, but I've been saved by grace. And Jesus can help you. He can help you overcome this sin. Here, let me help you. Let's walk together. I'll hold you accountable. It's okay. That's what church family is. There's no safer place in the world to be honest about your sin struggles than in a healthy church. 
Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's stir one another up to love and good works. That's how you grow is as we meet together, as we're known, as we spend time with one another. I want to encourage you to renew a commitment to fellowship if you feel like maybe you have been keeping the church at arm's length, if you have been neglecting to meet together. There's lots of ways you can do that. There's lots of ways we try to facilitate that. We, we have stages discipleship, which is our, uh, uh, our discipleship pathway, and we can get you connected with a disciple maker, with somebody that you can meet with on a regular basis who will know you and who will uh, ask you uh, the questions that need to be asked and who will pray for you and encourage you along the way. Uh, come and talk to me or to, to Thomas or Doug or Chad, one of us, and we can get you connected with the disciple maker. We've got some small groups. The, 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 uh, the women's ministry, Thrive, has small groups that meet, th- uh, that meet every other week, and we've even got a couple of other co-ed small groups right now as well that you can come and ask us about. Uh, this Wednesday night, we're gathering corporately for prayer to pray for one another and encourage one another at 7 o'clock. And then there's just, like, hang out with each other organically. I do love, I know that happens. I know you guys hang out with one another I know that there's a young adults WhatsApp group that I've never been invited to, but that's cool that you guys talk to each other on. But hey, I'm just glad that it's there. I'm not bitter, I promise, that I'm not a part of it. Still, am I, am I not a young adult, brother? I mean, I guess I'm not. What's the threshold anyways? Like, like why is Carrie in it and I'm not? I still don't understand these things. <laughs> My point is, is spend time with each other, guys. Spend time with one another, fellowship with one another, okay? And here's the deal. Members of Pillar DC, there is a responsibility placed on you where, wherein if you notice that a member of the church has not been around for a while, go after them. Don't just wait for the pastors. Don't just assume, well, that's Pastor Jared's job. No, no, no. Remember Ephesians 4 we learned about earlier? Our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So while it is our role to lead out in that in member care, member care is a responsibility of everyone. So if you're, if <laughs> member care is the responsibility of everyone. But here's the deal. We talked about how the church family is more of a family than your biological family. If your family member went missing... You would file a police report because you would know they're in danger. Well, when one of your brothers or sisters in Christ goes missing, they are in spiritual danger. So go after them. Don't just go, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so around for a couple months. Hope they're okay. Go reach out to them. Ask them if they're okay. Check in on one another. Love one another. We can, guys, let's care for one another well. And let's spur one another on towards love and good works. Now, all right, maybe you're hearing all this and you think, okay, well, I'm, okay, I get it. I'm called to help other people grow. But how, how do I do that? I don't really know. I don't know what to say to somebody. I mean, I don't feel like I know enough. I, I don't have a, a, a seminary education. What do I, how do I do that? Well, there's some practical instruction here in Titus chapter 2. There's a couple of things I'll point out. First of all, you can do that by just being a model of Christ-likeness. In verse 7, Paul says to Titus, he says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Less mature disciples need examples to follow. That's why the, the qualifications for elders are all geared towards character, towards being a, an example to the flock. Paul told the Corinthians and. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And every Christian is called to do that. That's not just for elders. Jesus says in Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So by modeling Christ-like behavior, you're pointing others towards Jesus. Now, of course, that means the opposite can be true. You can also cause others to stumble by professing to know God but denying Him by your works, like Titus 1.16 says. The best way to start leading others is by following Jesus. So I urge you to live a life worthy of the gospel. Put aside the works of darkness. 
Walk by faith and don't disobey the Lord's clear commands. It's one of the best ways we can spur one another on. Be the kind of Christian that others look at and say, I want to know Jesus like she does. I want to walk with the Lord like he does. You guys know people like that, don't you? You see people, you've observed people's lives, and you hear how they pray and how they talk to God, or you see how they are sharing Jesus with other people, and you go, man, they know Jesus. Like, I want to know Jesus like that. Be that type of believer. I've had believers like that in my lives. I think about my my good friend and uh, my mentor and a guy that's discipled with me, Matt Hess. And Matt has, uh, I mean, he's taught me a lot of things that he's told me, but more than anything, it's just by his lifestyle and the way that he's, he's walked with the Lord in godliness and the way that he shares Jesus boldly and the way that he prays and he pleads. And I've watched him and heard, and I've seen him weep over the law so many times. And it just drives me to want to know Jesus more. And it drives me to want to share Jesus more because I see that in him. And what a powerful impact we can have on one another just by doing that. Even if you're a brand new believer for like three weeks, I mean, you can do that. I remember we had, um, as a woman, uh, young woman at our previous church in, in Canada, and she had been a Christian for all of maybe two weeks, and she had uh, she was in a very, very abusive uh, uh, marriage, and uh, she was separated, and um, her estranged husband had was doing some horrific things to her. And um, I remember, I'll never forget, like two weeks after she became a Christian, she came over to our house and we were having a small group and she was excited to share with us about how God, uh, God just did a work in my heart and he softened my heart and he just led me to begin praying for his salvation yesterday. And for the first time, I was able to just pray for him and that God would save him and I was able to just forgive him in my heart. And it was just such a powerful example to all of us there. And she had been a Christian for two weeks, you know, she's a brand new baby believer. But just by that example, it spurred us on to want to love others and to love our enemies. So I hope that's an encouragement to some of you. Maybe even if you feel like, well, I don't know a lot, man, you can be an example to the flock. We're also, another way uh, that we can help one another uh, grow is by teaching truth from God's word. And Paul told Titus, Teach what accords with sound doctrine in verse 1. So teaching sound doctrine from God's Word is critical because the Word of God is one of the primary tools that God has given the church to build up believers. You guys remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about the Bible being one of our values. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And then what? For training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. See the connection? Growing in spiritual maturity in the Word of God. The Word of God helps us to grow in spiritual maturity. Now, yeah, God has given elders to the church that are gifted to teach the Word. And we're responsible for leading out in that. But teaching doesn't just happen in formal gatherings. In, in informal settings like this. <clears throat> That's why in, in Titus 2 verse 3, Paul says, Older women are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. So that means that you are called to teach one another sound doctrine from God's Word. Colossians 3.16 says this, it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see that? The Word of Christ is to dwell in us richly and we're to teach one another and admonish one another. So so that means that gives the sense of sharing the truth of God's Word with one another. And admonishing means urging one another to obey and to apply what we've read in God's Word. So as you're, this is one of the reasons we, we're doing a, a read through the Bible in a year plan together so that and our hope is that as we read through the scriptures together as a church that you will share with one another what God's teaching you in his word and you'll encourage one another to apply God's word to your lives if you if you you know aren't following through on that uh, following along in that reading plan you can pick one up by the way um, at the info table downstairs when you leave we got them out there and you can find it in the resources uh, section on our website uh, as well if you're with us online. I encourage you to do that. So, B, 
be a, a model of good works, teach one another, and then also uh, we can help one another grow by training others, by training. <clears throat> so while teaching is important, we also need to train those that we disciple. So as Paul, he spent time training Titus, and he instructed the older women to train the younger women. In Jesus' ministry as well, we see Jesus not just spending time teaching the disciples on the hillside, but then training them. He would, he would take the disciples with him as he went and he preached the gospel and as he healed the sick. Disciples are not primarily made in the classroom. They're made in the field. This is probably one of the biggest misconceptions about discipleship in the church today. Uh, we think that if we just throw different curriculum at Christians, that eventually we'll find a curriculum that's going to help Christians grow. But the reality is that Christians need to be trained in the field. We need to put into practice what we're learning from God's Word to grow. If I told you that LeBron James became the greatest basketball player in the NBA because he just sat around his whole childhood watching basketball training videos and reading books on how to you know, shoot a basketball, you would go, well, that's not true. That's ridiculous. How did LeBron James become a great basketball player? Yeah. Right, playing basketball. He received instruction. He had coaching. He was taught you know, me mechanics and things like that. But he combined that instruction with training. He put it into practice. He, he played basketball with others who were at one time better than him until he surpassed them and became better than his instructors. This is how Jesus discipled the twelve. And then eventually Jesus, after he had trained them, he would send them out. He would empower them. He'd say, okay, now it's your turn to go and do what I've trained you to do. So this means that if you want to help your disciple learn to fish for men and share the gospel, then you need to take them with you and go share the gospel together. You can't just keep meeting at a coffee shop and talking about how, boy, we really should start sharing the gospel. Let's hold one another accountable to do that. You going to do it this week? Okay, I'll do it too. Go do it together. <laughs> like, do it now. Obey immediately. And just start going and sharing the gospel together. I promise you, the people you're discipling are going to grow light years faster that way than if you just sit around a coffee shop talking about it. So it's good. Sit around, talk about it at the coffee shop, and then go share with somebody at the coffee shop. That's the point. If you want to teach your disciple how to be a godly mother or wife, then invite her into your home and let her watch how you interact with your husband and with your children. Let her watch your life. Now, all this, it, takes a, it, it does take a time commitment. It costs something. It's easier to just meet at a coffee shop and open the Bible and talk about some cool stuff that we see in the Word and, and chit-chat about life. I mean, yes, that's a lot more comfortable if we just kept it at that, but disciples need more than just to talk through Scripture. They need to watch you. They need to watch what you're doing and to emulate you. I've, you know, as I was thinking about this point, I was thinking about like parents, like what an opportunity that parents have with your children. Your children live with you. They're with you all the time, right? So that means you constantly have opportunities to disciple them. Like, yes, you can teach them, but they are watching your lives, and you can include your children in ministry with you, and you should. So train your children to pray and to read Scripture by inviting them to do it with you in family devotions. Train them to live on mission by doing outreach together as a family. Many of you in here are new parents or soon-to-be parents. I want you thinking that way about how you're going to raise your children, about how you're going to, to teach your children to be faithful followers of Jesus who love God and love His Word. That's how you do it. You disciple them. Include them in missions. Include them in ministry. Include them in time spent in God's Word, in prayer, and in worship with you. So verses 1 to 10 have given us a picture of how we disciple one another towards Christ-likeness in the context of the church family. But verses 11 to 14 explain the foundation for all of this, and I don't want us to close before we look at what verses 11 to 14 say. So let's look at it again real quick. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So verse 11 starts with the word for. And that means that what follows is about to explain the, va- the basis for all that just came before. So why are we called to model and teach and train one another towards Christ-likeness? Well, verses 11 to 14 give us the answer. Let's, let's break down what it's saying. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So that when it says the grace of God has appeared, it's referring to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the manifestation of the grace of God. Humanity was, we were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. Every one of us had broken God's law. We were under the curse of sin and we deserved condemnation. But instead of coming to destroy the world, instead of coming to give us the due penalty for our sin, the grace of God appeared. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He humbled himself and he took on flesh. He was fully God, fully man, and he came as a man so that he could die on the cross for our sins. Verse 14 says, he gave himself for us. Jesus laid down in his his life on the cross, dying so that we could live. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive and he's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God and he is returning again. And everyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus for their salvation will be forgiven of their sin and given the free gift of eternal life. That's the grace of God that has appeared in Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And not only does Jesus' resurrection guarantee resurrected bodies for us, but it also empowers us to live new lives now. Paul explains that in the following verses. He says, The grace of God has appeared And it brings salvation for all people. And it also trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And to wait for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. So the grace of God trains us to do three things. to, To renounce ungodliness, to live godly, upright lives, and to wait for the return of Jesus. That's what Titus says here. So let me put those things in layman's terms. This means that, number one, Christians have a growing hatred for sin. We renounce ungodliness. So Christians have a growing hatred for sin such that we turn away from it and we no longer live lives that resemble the world. You can't be a Christian and simultaneously live just like the world. So what fruit is coming out of your life? If the language that comes from your mouth or your actions are indistinguishable from unsaved people around you, then you need to repent and start trusting in Jesus today. Secondly, the grace of God trains us to to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. That means that Christians will progressively look more like Jesus and bear the fruit of the Spirit. As Christians abide in Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers us to bear the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Now we're certainly not perfect in any of these, but they should be growing and increasing in us. They're, they're evident by good works. Jesus should be visible in your life. Not so that we can be accepted by God, but because in Christ we've already been accepted. And he's changing us from the inside out. And then Titus says that the grace of God trains us to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. So that means that Christians lay up their treasure in heaven, not on earth. First John says this world is passing away along with its desires. So the grace of God trains believers to lay down treasures in this life to store it up in the next. This is what drives Christ followers to leave behind the comforts of home to go make disciples in dangerous places around the world. Because as Philippians 3 says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to come and transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. That's where our hope lies. 
So the grace of God trains us to not live for this world and the things of this world and to make my life all about my career or all about how much money I make or this or that. Not We don't live our lives for the things that are going to perish and pass away. Your life should look kind of crazy to non-believers. Like people should look at your life and go, what's wrong with that person? Why do they live that way? Why don't they seem to care about all the stuff that everybody else cares about? Why don't they seem to care about not driving the same expensive cars that everybody else drives? Why aren't they obsessed with climbing the ladder of corporate success? What's wrong with them? Because they're not living for this world. They're living for what can never perish, for what can never be snatched away. We're living for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what the grace of God trains us to do as we grow in Christlikeness. All of this is brought about by the grace of God. The gospel frees us from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. As verse 14 says, Jesus gave himself for us to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus died so that we could be conformed into his image. So it is the grace of God and the gospel that brings about the godly lives that we are urged to live in verses 1 to 10. Do you see that? Do you see the connection from verses 11 to 14 to verses 1 to 10? It's that grace, it's the gospel that creates that, that, that Christian family where we are building one another up in love and good works that we see in verses 1 to 10. That's what the church should look like, all empowered by God's grace. Are you growing in Christ-likeness? Empowered by the Spirit, are you putting to death the deeds of the body and growing in holiness? This is the will of God for every single believer. It's not optional. There's no salvation apart from transformation. Discipleship within the local church is the means by which the Holy Spirit brings about this progressive change in the lives of Christians. This is why we must be intentional about discipling one another so that we can see this come about in our lives. So brothers and sisters, let's not neglect meeting together. Let's love one another by pouring our lives into each other and stirring one another up towards love and good works. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to close out with a song of praise and of worship. But I just want to give you a few specific action steps. And depending on who you are and, and what God's doing in your heart this morning. Some of these may apply to you, some of them may not. Well, first of all, if you are not sure whether or not you are truly a Christian, then I want you to make sure today. If you're not sure, then we're going to have some prayer counselors in the back of the room. You can go through those double doors, and I want you to come, and I want you to talk to one of us. Don't put that off. There's nothing more important. We're talking about eternity here. We're talking about the salvation of your soul. None of us is promised tomorrow. Jesus is going to return when we least expect it. He's going to come back. And on that day, it's going to be too late if you continue to put it off. So if you're not sure whether or not you're saved, then make sure today by repenting of your sin and placing your faith and your trust in Jesus. And if you're not being discipled, we'd love to, to help you get into discipleship. Maybe you'd say, now, Jared, I think I'm a Christian, but I know I need to be more intentional about growing. I need to be discipled. Well, you can indicate that on that Connect card. There should be some Connect cards in the pews or online. You can fill one of those out digitally and indicate that you're interested in discipleship, and we'll get in touch with you this week, and we'll get you connected with a disciple maker. Or perhaps you're a Christian, but you're not a member of a local church family. It's not just critical, it's essential to your growth as a believer that you, that you get plugged into a church family and that you get into a covenant membership with a church family and not keep the church at arm's length. So maybe that's the step you need today is you need to come up and talk to us about taking the next steps towards church membership. We're going to be having a membership class coming up soon. We'd love to, to have you at that. And you can also indicate that on that Connect card. And lastly, if, if you are a member of this church, I want to call all of you to commit to discipling other believers, to pouring your lives into one another, to gathering together and stirring one another up towards love and good works. I'm going to pray. Um, 
And as I pray, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and however the Lord's leading you to respond, I just want you to, to talk with, with Jesus about that right now in your seat. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for giving yourself for us. Your blood has washed away our sins. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Oh, we worship you. Though we deserve your, your wrath, we deserved condemnation. You sent your one and only son to die in our place. You are, despite our sin, you are no longer angry with us who are in Christ. And Jesus, you gave yourself for us so that you could cleanse us from sin and so that you could transform us from the inside out, so that you could purify for yourself a people who are zealous for good works, who renounce ungodliness and worldliness, who are eager to live godly and upright lives in Christ Jesus. Would you help us live that out, Lord? Would you empower us by your spirit, Lord Jesus, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you cause us to abound in love for one another, Lord, so that we have a genuine concern and love and care for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ such that we are willing to, to sacrifice our time to invest in each other, we're willing to reach out to one another when we're struggling or when another church member is, is, hasn't been around for a while. God, help us to build one another up in love as a church. I pray for Pillar Church of Washington, D.C. I pray that this church would grow in Christ-likeness and that we would grow in health. And I pray that you would add to our number those who are being saved, Lord. God, we long to see people turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus. We long to see your grace and your power on display, God, as you take sinners and you make them into sons and daughters. God, would you please do that in our city? God, would your grace coat this city just like the snow is coating the ground this morning? God, would you, would you draw many people to yourself? Lord, I pray for any in this room or any who are listening online that may not know you, that right now may be wrestling with whether or not to place their trust in you. Oh, Lord Jesus, may, they, may you give them spiritual sight. I pray that right now you grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. That they would not trust in their own works, God, because it's not enough. Our own righteousness will not suffice on judgment day. We must be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I pray that every single person would put on that righteousness by placing their faith in you today. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in the wonderful, beautiful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen.